morning, Grace Point. Let's stand if you're not for the reading of God's Word. That's our custom around here. Amen. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the New Covenant. Amen. Can you say New Covenant? The title is The New Covenant is Better. The Bible says so. Amen. I mean, as the Bible says, the New Covenant is better. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, talking about Jesus, because he is the mediator of a better covenant. Everybody say better. Which was established on better promises. And then in Hebrews 12, 24, it says, To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. I mean, those that Abel's blood was calling for revenge and judgment and payment, but the blood of Jesus speaks on our behalf. How many's heard that thing about Christians say, well, I plead the blood over this? Well, I, it's not a sin to do that, but you don't have to because the blood of Jesus pleads for you. It speaks for you. It declares better things. And uh, so this new covenant, what, what makes it better? Why is it really better? And why do some people hang on to the old, even today? They hang on to the old, and some even declare that the old is better. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. You ready for this? Amen? Turn around and look at somebody next to you and ask them, are they ready for this? Are you ready? If not, tell them like T.D. Jakes, tell them, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word and your people. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. I remember, uh, it's been quite a few years ago now, I was uh, preaching a series of meetings. Churches call it revival. Over in a town about two hours east of here, I'll just leave it at that. I had never been to the church before, and the pastor that was had recently taken the pastorate was a friend of mine. I had known him for some 15 years, and uh, he asked me to come after he'd only been there for three months and, and preach a series of meetings, revival or whatever. And it was one of those churches that after I got through preaching, uh, he asked me to accompany him to the back door, and we stood there in the vestibule as people filed out of the building, and we shook hands, which is Okay, nothing wrong with that. And, uh, but sometimes it forces people to have to say something to you, even if they didn't want to. And I remember, I've been in that situation a lot of times, and uh, I remember being there, and I think we began, uh, I know we did on a Sunday night, and I was to go throughout the week. And uh, so, you know, people passed by, and I remember one man that kind of stood out to me out of all those people, Church was, you know, run probably 300 people, and uh, he shook my hand. He didn't really look like he fit in with that church group, and uh, he, he just stared at me, you know, and he said, well, all I can say is you give me something to think about, and he just went on by. You know, that was a little bit unusual. Most people are filing by, God bless you, Pastor, you know, we enjoyed it, hallelujah, and uh, he, you know, he, he, he just struck me as different. And uh, the next night, it was a little bit more of the same. And, uh, you know, he almost seemed to be aggravated a little bit. 
And I kept thinking, like, who is this guy, you know? And uh, I asked the pastor about him. He said, well, he's not a, he doesn't come to our church. I don't know where he's come from. And uh, he said, I don't, I don't know him. He's not one of our members. And then I remember one night he took me by the hand around Wednesday uh, night, and uh, he said, and he literally just kind of pulled me to him, and he said, I want to talk to you a second. You know, and that was really kind of breaking protocol, but I said, what the heck, let's see what this guy's got to say. And he said, you know, he said, all these people in this church are a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> and he said, I know a lot of them. And he said, they, uh, they're just hypocrites. And uh, he said, you know, that Bible that you've been preaching out of, he said, you know, a Playboy magazine does me better good than that book. How many knows that's unusual to tell a preacher after he's preached at the end of a meeting? And, uh, and so he just kind of waited in on me a little bit, you know, as far as, not me personally, but, you know, he said that book that you've been preaching out of. He said, I feel better when I look at Playboy than I do when I read that book. And he was a very intelligent, uh, analytical, thinking person. And uh, he wasn't from around there, as they say. And, but my heart went out to him. And, and so I took that book that he was talking about, and I said, well, let's just talk a minute. So we went off and stood in a hallway. And, uh, and I opened to these passages in John chapter 5. And I read him these passages. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, now he's talking to the Jews here. And he says, but you do not have his word abiding in you. Now, when Jesus says to them, you don't have his word abiding in you, he's not talking about you don't have mem you're not memorized enough scripture. Who is the word? Okay, now the rest of you. Who is the word? What's his name? See, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, he says you don't have the word abiding in you. He's not talking about scripture here. He said, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. In verse 39, he said, you search the scriptures. How many knows there's nothing wrong with searching the scriptures? But if you search the scriptures and come out of the scriptures with anything other than Jesus, you miss the whole point of the Bible. Memorizing verses does nothing for you if you don't know the person that it's pointing to. Now, he said, you're searching the scriptures, talking to the Jews, for in them, what, the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, if you're going to have life, you've got to come to me. You're not coming to a book. You're not coming to a religion. God's not religious. God's not supernatural. God's just natural, and he's naturally super. We're the ones, when we tap into anything that's God-like, we go, that's supernatural. It is above our nature. But for God, it's normal. God's just being who he always has been. He's being God. How many of those old church said he's God all by himself? He didn't need us to be God. He's God for us, be God after us. It's always been God. He's not a Christian. God's not a Christian. God didn't need to get saved. God's not a Baptist. God's not Pentecostal. God's not charismatic. God's not a man. 
God's not a woman. God's not a Republican and God's not a Democrat. God's never run for office, never will. He didn't need to be elected. He was already there when the election was called. Jesus said that if you're going to have life, you've got to come to me. You've got to come to a person. So I read that man, these verses, and I said, you're missing the whole point. I said, you're studying the Bible, and you've read it. He told me, he said, I've read it from cover to cover. I get nothing out of it. I said, because you missed the point of the book. I said, you're reading it like any other book. This is not like any other book. This is a book that points to a man, to a person, to a Savior, to a Lord, and his name's Jesus. And I, I can't go into all of it. I use up all my time. But I just stood there, and I told him about a person. And I said, you've got to knock it off, man, with all the, the studying the book to try to analyze the book or to pick it or I said, it points to a person who died for you, who died as you. And the more we talked, and God's power was softening a hard religious heart that had been hard, hurt and scarred by legalism. And, uh, and so that was Wednesday night. I'll never forget this. Thursday night, I go back to the church and preach that night and I give you know a call to accept Christ lo and behold here he comes I remember seeing him come down the aisle and he walked right down the front and he come and knelt on this side the pastor of the church uh, we'd already discussed the guy earlier in the week because I'm like who is this guy pastor you know come and knelt in front of him at the altar and I stepped down and prayed with him as well and that man that night put his faith in Jesus Christ. He believed upon the Lord. And, and apparently that talk the night before along with the series of meetings and the word of God had done some good and he had saw a person now instead of a scriptures and a book. And he received Christ that night as his savior. He went home, took his clothes off, got in the bed and died. He never awoke again, and he died in his sleep with a massive heart attack. God didn't kill him either, by the way. Explain that. I can't. All I can say is real good timing, though, as far as for him. He got under just under the wire. You know what I mean? Praise God. See, sometimes we don't realize how important it is to put up with people put up with their hurt, with their arguments, with their negative, uh, being negative about things, you know, and even, you know, because, I mean, sometimes if you wasn't, you know, somebody tells you, what a, you know, Playboy does you more, well, stay with Playboy then. No, no, you just take the time because you never know. I would have never imagined that that man I was talking to on Wednesday would be dead on Thursday night before midnight. I never would have dreamed that. Man, it really shook me. It shook me. You know, when the pastor called me Friday morning and said, hey, you know that guy that we prayed with last night? He died. They actually wanted me to preach the guy's funeral. Uh, I guess some of his friends were family. And I, I just really, I, you know, I know it sounds bad. I wasn't able to do that because of my schedule. <clears throat> and, uh, and so the pastor actually preached the guy's funeral. And, and he received Christ because he came to a person instead of searching the scriptures trying to find religion or trying to find life. But 
I, I want you to understand that, that Jesus is calling you to him. And, 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 and re, where we get this really confused, if many of, of us intuitively are not, uh, I guess you would say, wired to, to understand the difference between contracts and covenants. Jesus said the new covenant is better. It's a covenant, though. It's not a new contract. It's a new covenant. And, and if you don't distinguish clearly the difference between covenant and contract, then it's going to affect the way that you receive the gospel. It's going to affect the way that you hear the gospel. And we confuse that often. Now, let, let me just say this. A covenant, uh, well, let me say it. For, let's go contract. A contract is the exchange of and the passing of property or possessions. Uh, a, a covenant is actually the exchange of persons. You hear me? Big difference. A contract says this property, this thing, this now is yours, while a covenant says I am yours. So God doesn't merely promise us or me and you his impersonal blessings, but what God promises us is the gift of himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that you need to know about a covenant is that you and I play no part in setting it up. None. Uh, the new covenant is not made up with us as individuals. In other words, it's a covenant that God made. The new covenant, the reason it's better is because it's a covenant that you and I are not part of except to benefit from. In other words, you wasn't in the inception of it. You didn't talk God into it. God didn't make a covenant with anybody in this room. God made a covenant with himself. In other words, God the Father made a covenant with God the Son, and we wasn't part of it. So therefore, you can't mess it up. The new covenant is totally out of our hands. That's why it's a better covenant, because we couldn't mess it up. We, we couldn't enter into it. It was already done. And, and, and so this is what's so great about it. It, it makes the new covenant eternal. It makes it unconditional, unbreakable covenant made by God with God, and God cannot lie. Hebrews in 6 talks about it, but the two immutable things, and those two immutable things is God. God cannot deny himself. God made a covenant with himself. So this arrangement, and I've mentioned this guy to you before, is kind of like the crippled uh, man Mephibosheth, Remember, he was the son of Saul and, uh, uh, or son of Jonathan, rather, and, and Saul was his grandfather. And David and Jonathan made a covenant before Mephibosheth was ever born. And when you make a covenant, you're exchanging people. And so David is giving himself to, to Jonathan, Jonathan to David. And now Saul has told this lie that, you know, you know, if David ever gets to be king, he's going to kill everybody in the palace. And so the, the maid, the caregiver, runs with Mephibosheth as a five-year-old little child, falls, breaks his leg, he's crippled for life. And he is so afraid because he believes the lie, and he goes high out in a place called Lodibar, which means just a barren wilderness. And when David becomes king, he does not do anything but show his loving kindness to Mephibosheth, and he pours out lavishly 
his love on him, brings him to the palace, sets him at his table, restores him everything that's ever been taken from him financially, and that is the picture of grace. In other words, Mephibosheth is now benefiting from the loving kindness of a benevolent king called David who was in covenant with his father and whom Mephibosheth did not even know that he was the benefactor of such grace. That's the picture. And sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament is pictures of this grace-giving, grace-empowered God. And so I can't tell you, I always thought when I got in this Christian faith that my relationship with God as being something that was between God and me. That's how I always viewed it. And I want to tell you something. That's how most Christians, at least in America, I believe, view their relationship. Their relationship with God is between God and them. And nothing could be further from the truth. I cannot tell you what it meant to me when I began to discover out of the word of God that my relationship to God was based on and depended upon Jesus who was acting as me. <laughs> you can't mess it up. Well, you're out of relationship with God. You need to do something to get back. No, you, don't, you can't sell me any of that anymore because it ain't based on me. It's based on Jesus. And uh, the old covenant, like I said, you get these little video uh, portrayals of this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God irregardless of the behavior of the people. So let me ask you this. How many remembers in Joshua... Joshua was told to go and destroy all the ites of the land, okay? And so here comes the Gibeonites, and they come with moldy old bread, old dusty clothes, old wineskins, remember? And they deceived Joshua into making a covenant with them. They, they, they lie to him. They use deception and trickery. And so Joshua, his big problem was, the Bible said, and Joshua inquired not of the Lord, how many of us have made some really poor decisions because we inquired not of the Lord? <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, that's what we call no-brainers. I got this. This is easy. I don't need to pray about this. Little foxes spoil the vine. You need to pray about everything. And so Joshua didn't pray. He said, because you know what he did? He did what you and I do. He went by what his eyes saw, what his nose smelled. He went by his senses. He didn't go by the Spirit. Went by his senses. He says, well, what they are telling me, their words match up with, you know, they said that we're strangers, we're just passing through, we don't really live here, make a covenant with us not to drive us from the land, and, and you know, and, and, and so forth. And so Joshua says, okay. <laughs> He's God's man. Now, who is the, the children of Israel in covenant with? Yahweh God. And if you go into a covenant with Israel, then you, you by default, is you want to say, you are now in covenant with Yahweh God too because you went into covenant with somebody that he's in covenant with and the covenant is for everybody because you not exchange a contract, you exchange a person. Am I making any sense? So now the Gibeonites, through deception, enter into a covenant by uh, deception with Joshua and Joshua makes a covenant. That covenant is binding eternally. Later on, now you think Joshua, you know, Joshua's like, you, you think, it, here's how Americans would think, whoa, wait, oh, you, you lied? No, man, covenant ain't no good. They don't, see, we don't understand God. We don't understand the power of covenant. I'm trying to show you a picture of grace. So here later on, we get over in Joshua chapter 10, five kings come to attack Gibeon. 
Gibeon calls on that relationship with Israel, and they say, Israel, help us. And Joshua says, yay and amen. And Joshua pulls his sword, and he goes to battle with them. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but you should, because it's a pretty significant deal. He's battling those five kings in, in battle, and, you know, and, and the day wears on. It takes a while to whoop five kings and their armies. And Joshua commands the sun to stand still and the moon to not move and give him time to take care of all them five kings. And that's the day the earth stood still. And when did the earth seem like every Christian knows the earth stood still? They don't know why. It stood still for Joshua, Israelites, to do battle on behalf of the Gibeonites who lied and got into this covenant. Grace. <laughs> that is one of the coolest pictures to me of people who are not deserving of any favor yet receiving Grace poured out upon them because of whom they're in covenant with. Are you seeing this? You know what we do? I mean, I love Joshua. Joshua's a fighter, man. That dude's a warrior. You remember when he crossed into the promised land? Now, see, we've got a lot of folks that's kind of like, they're still under that Moses deal. Moses was the lawgiver. But you can't, Moses can point to the land, preach about the land, he can show you the land, but he cannot enter into the land. Moses was like a lot of us. He has problems in some areas. And I know he's typology in a lot of things, but no, there's no perfect typology in the Bible other than Jesus himself. But remember, God told Moses, he says, now take the staff that's in your hand, strike the rock, and out of it comes water. Water was life. Water was everything. And, and, and water come out of the rock, and it fed the two, three million uh, uh, Israelites and all their animals. And it was a symbol of Christ, right? Jesus said, the Bible says, that rock that followed Moses, that rock was Christ. And so it was a, it was a typology. It was a picture of Jesus being crucified, smitten, and out of his side come water, living water. Life flowed. And so later on, they get in a similar situation, and God says, now speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He struck the rock again. And you got to change when God says change. Just because it worked last time don't mean it's going to work this time. Because you're after a method and a formula, but you, you need to know you're in a relationship with a real person. And you, and you need to be able to go by current data. And God said, speak to the rock. Once you've been born again, all you got to do is speak to the rock. You don't have to do anything else. Jesus is not going to be crucified but one time. And it broke the typology. And Moses was a leader that had a tendency to lose his temper with people. Okay? And so Moses, one time, when he got to that second occurrence, he said, he started calling them names. He said, you bunch of rebels. <laughs> he said, who am I to bring you out here and provide water for you, you bunch of rebels? And he's just working on them man Moses nerves is bad see I know when I need to spend more time with God because people get on my nerves and if I get where I can't even stand and look at people I know that's just like okay go hang out with God some before you hurt somebody you're going to say something you hang out with God because God loves people and so he called them a bunch of rebels and he he showed his anger and, and, and when he got through with that sermon that day, God said, come here. And bring your brother with you too, by the way. Bring Aaron. 
And he said, listen here, because you did not keep me holy before the people, in other words, because you presented me in a way that I'm not, you're not going into what I've been promised because that's not how you get into this. You want to get into the promises of God? You want to actually, you know, taste of what God's promised you in the new covenant? Then, then you, you, you can't follow Moses in because he's not going in. I, you have your Bible under your arm, but the law's not going to carry you in. You can try to keep the Ten Commandments, but it's not going to carry you into any promises of God because the law comes to an end once a person receives Christ. The Bible says in Romans, Christ is the end of the law to them that believe. If you don't believe, the law is still for you to make you point to Christ and believe in Him. But once you believe, that's the end of that. I said that's the end of that. Ten Commandments are not for you. I'm not posting them anywhere. I'm not sticking them in my yard or in the school. Because those are meant, or that, that is the ministry Paul called of condemnation and of death. God went to great lengths to take the Ten Commandments, put them in an in a, in a Ark of the Covenant, and seal it with a mercy seat, and dared anybody to open it. One group of people stole the Ark of the Covenant, opened it, and something like 30,000 of them died that day because they tried to do the Indiana Jones thing and get the Ark up, you know, and, and open the Ark up. Here we are in the church, we're steady trying to reach and pull out the commandments and post them everywhere and live under the old system and the old way. I'll help you get pay for John 3, 16 and 17 to get posted in the schools. For God so loved the world that he gave, I'll pay for that. But I ain't paying for no Ten Commandments to go up and I ain't going to stick it in my yard. And ain't a, one, ain't a person anywhere on this planet has ever kept the Ten Commandments. Not even for a day. The only commandment out of all ten that says remember and don't forget this one is to keep the Sabbath holy. That means from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday you don't leave your house, you don't cook nothing in your kitchen, you don't mow your yards, trim your bushes, you don't do nothing but hang out with God. And if you've ever violated that one time, you broke the law, and if you break one law, the Bible says you're guilty of breaking all of it. Hello, good morning, you bunch of law keepers. Oh, well, that's not one, that's not, we don't have to keep that one. Oh, oh. Okay, let me get this straight. So it ain't the Ten Commandments, it's the Nine Commandments. You see what you're doing there? Smorgasbord. Pick and choose. Uh, I'll take, uh, I'll take a little of this one and some of that one. <laughs> no, no. It's ten or, it's ten or none. It ain't the nine commandments, it's the ten. See how stupid religion does us? I didn't say people are stupid. Religion is stupid. To think that you could keep ten rules and be fit for God. Just crazy. But I used to believe in it. You know, keep the big ten. <laughs> Stay close to the words in red. Yeah, and them words in red will make you dead. Words in red are, be ye perfect even as I'm perfect, saith God. Words in red, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Words in red says, if your eye offends you, you've ever used your eyeball to lust, pluck it out. We should be churches filled with one-eyed amputees. If we're keeping the words in red, 
I could just see myself on a debate with somebody in this. I could. It's ridiculous. The words of Jesus in red were said to people under law to stop watering down the law, bring it up to God's level, and say, you see how impossible it is for you to keep this? Why don't you put your faith in me and I'll keep it for you? That's grace. That's the grace of God. Amen. That's God's grace. So Joshua was a fighter, man. He was a fighter. I think about when he crossed over into the promised land. This is in Joshua chapter 5. And it says he beheld an angel there or a man. It just said that, it don't say an angel. He said he saw a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn. Remember that? And it said Joshua went over to this man and he says, Are you for me or against me? And that there is your classic American MO right there. Are you Republican or Democrat? I need, you to, I need you to speak up so I'll know whose side you on. I need to know if I'm for you or against you. I need to know if I like you or dislike you. See how quiet it's getting? And I'll tell you, Christians, man, they ain't a lot better than that. There's Christians that don't come to this church no more because somebody in this church posted something about was pro-Republican and they're pro-Democrat and they won't come. They don't come back here no more. And that's the truth. And if you don't like it, I can't do nothing about it. I think that is so sad. I've seen so many people leave church and got nothing to do with me, and it has nothing to do absolutely with God. Whose side you on, Joshua said? Are you for us or against us? You know what the response was? You know who that was he was talking to? Now, Joshua said he saw a man. He said, I saw a man. It wasn't a man. It was God. Sometimes you're looking right at God and think it's a man. Sometimes you don't recognize this God. It, God's walking to you on the water and you're in a storm and you think it's a demon. If it is you, Peter said. The Bible said they cried out. They said it was a demon. It was a ghost. No, it's God. It is sad for God to be in your storm and you don't even know it. And can I tell you something? If you're in a storm, God's right there. God's right there. And his sword is drawn. But let me tell you something that's different. You're always, and we're always, just about always trying to get God on our side. And God will never get on your side or mine. That's, that's, that's not what it's about. He says to this man with the sword drawn, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he said, no. Read your Bible. He says, no, which is Hebrew for neither. Christians need to hear that a lot. One time the disciples come up on a man who was begging and he was blind. And the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he be born blind? Jesus, Yeshua, who is New Testament for Joshua, said no. 
which is Greek for neither. Jesus says, no, you're asking the wrong question. You're not dragging me in to whose side. He said, he said this is but for the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, the only thing that you need to be focusing on right now is what will bring God glory. You know that there's been people that supposedly preached this book that's taken that verse to say God intentionally made that person born blind so Jesus would have somebody to heal. How dumb do you have to be to preach something like that? God doesn't make anybody born blind or anybody born with any kind of defect or any other thing. You give him all the glory you want to for it, but it ain't him. Does God love people? Absolutely. Man, I, need, I should step back behind this pulpit and get back in the notes, but I like the way this is flowing. So, You remember when Moses was putting up all the arguments with God against the reason why he could be used to get people free in Egypt? And God said, who made your, who made your mouth? Moses had just got through complaining that he was slow of speech or whatever. Some people believe he had a speech. I, I don't know, speech impediment, I don't know. The Bible's not real clear on that. But God said, who makes man's mouth? Now, there's people that read that and then they interpret that, that God makes people with speech impediments, that God makes people be born with this or with that, and the list goes on. God is saying, listen to me, every single person, regardless of their condition or regardless of their birth, I want you to know one thing, I made them. He made that person. But there is, no, there is a translation that is a really messed up one that, God made people, you know, and they add to the Hebrew there that God makes people. God has never made people, and the Bible never says God made anybody blind. God made anybody uh, crippled. God made anybody with some birth defect. God didn't do that. Sin did that. Sin did that. But God said no matter what, what happened, what the circumstances was, God said, I made that person. And they belong to me. And they are they are. They are of value. Their life is of value. They, uh, God loves them. And we just need to stop giving credit where credit's not due on that, on that case. Joshua didn't recognize that's not man, that's God. He's got his sword pulled to you for us or you against us. And he says, no, neither. Because it's not about God on your side, it's about you on God's side. We see... Whose side are you on, the prophet said. Get on the Lord's side. See, God ain't, you don't call God over to your side. You find out where God is and get to his side. You get, you get to the side of the Lord. You get to the side of God. And, and, and that's the only side that God has. And go ahead and engage in the fight that God's already fought and already won. And be partaker. And I've told you over and over, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. What's the fight? Just to keep believing in our, our conqueror. Who, you, know, who, who, you know, who side you on? We've got to stop all that. And I want to tell you, we really got to stop all that. You know, are you Republican or Democrat? You're a believer. This country, man, is tore so ripped up, man. It's not getting any better, doesn't seem to me, in that regard. How about just standing with Christ and just stand with Christ 
and, and ask God, what, God, where's your side? Let me stand with your side. Whatever your side, I don't care what the name, independent, no dependent, this dependent, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God Church. I mean, I don't care, Republican, Democrat. I mean, it don't make no difference. All your labels is crazy anyway. All people want, you know, they, people are always asking me, you know, once I'm, you meet somebody, well, what, what kind of church is it? All you want to do is stick a label on me. And then sometimes I'll say, well, we're just an independent church or whatever. Or whatever. I don't even know what to tell them. They, they, they're just trying to categorize me. Let me see now. Let me, let me get you where I, I just need to know who I'm dealing with here. Are you, are you a Baptist? Yeah. I believe in holding them under the water till they say tithe. No, I'm just, I'm and <laughs> Joking, but I believe in immersing them because it's a symbol of burial. Never seen nobody buried by throwing dirt on them. Mm. Here's a handful, let's go bury this person. No, they're not going to be buried. You dig a hole, push them in. Baptism is we got a hole full of water, we push you in. And then we bring you back out. So I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. I believe in the Wesley brothers and their method. Evangelism and reaching people with the gospel. I'm all those things, but the church wants to get, find out what you are, get a label on you, categorize you, and either fellowship with you or not fellowship with you. You believe in this? Well, we don't, we don't believe in that, so we won't be friends. But we're all going to go to heaven and live together forever. Hallelujah on the other side. <laughs> but I hate your guts down here, but we'll hug each other in heaven. Whew, I'm glad God's going to work all that out. I don't know how he's going to work it out. There's some people you're going to be shocked that they're there, and you're going to be mad that they're there. God Almighty, you made it. I never thought you made it here. <laughs> I hope your mansion ain't close to mine. I mean. <laughs> Man, I don't know how God's going to work all that out. Joshua was amazing, though, that he stood there and he fought for these Gibeonites that deceived him because he, in typology, was a type of Jesus, and he was administering grace and benevolence and favor on people that were absolutely not deserving of it. And this God is sprinkled through the Old Covenant showing us that. Luke chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus said these words about this new covenant. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst, the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine, look what he says, must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And then it says, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. The New American Standard actually says, it says the old is good enough. Now, listen to me. Now, we're not talking about wine, but we're talking about covenants here, right? And so listen to me. If the new wine is the new covenant, and how many knows it is right here? If the new wine that Jesus is talking about is the new covenant, then why would anyone prefer the old? In other words, people go with the law only because they haven't tried grace, right? No. No. People try grace all the time and return back to the law. 
people have said, well, you know, I'm just going to go spread grace, and they said in the law church. You, you can say anything you want to, but if you're on a Greyhound and it's got Miami on the front, baby, you're going to Miami. <laughs> you can be hollering New York, New York, you know, saying New York with Frank Sinatra all you want to, but your behind's going to get off that bus in Miami. I'm just going to let my little light shine. Well, you better have on a flowery shirt and some Bermuda shorts because it's going to be hot where you're going. <laughs> if you believe in grace, get in the grace church. Because unless they're letting you preach every Sunday, you sitting in that chair ain't doing nothing. I'm not going to sit in there and listen to people preach law and mixture to me. I'm not going to have my grandbabies listen to mixture and drinking mixed drinks. If law is your liquor, then you won't guzzle grace. If you are accustomed to Moses, you will reject Jesus. They were descendants of Moses. They were always touting Moses, Moses. That's why when Jesus, Yeshua, was standing right in front of them, they missed him. They missed him. So don't think just because somebody, you know, they hear grace and that's the reason that they like the old because they hadn't really heard grace. No, they've heard grace. They go back to the old because they prefer it. That's what Jesus said. He says that, that they say the old is better or they, literally the translation is the old is good enough. And so you, you might say, well, that doesn't just make any sense to me. Surely nobody who has tried both would prefer the old. That don't make sense. It does make perfect sense to this preacher because I see it all the time. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 and 13 says this, For I will be merciful. God's talking about the new covenant now. He said, I will be merciful to their what? Unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, God says, I'm not going to remember it. But the pulpits are filled with preachers this Sunday who are telling people God remembers their sin. And this is, this is how it goes. I was raised up under this. This is a mainstay sermon. Go to Luke, I mean, go to Revelation and, and present God as being angry towards lukewarm Christians. And God had actually rather you be hot or cold, be on your way to hell than to be lukewarm. And you, you make God sick and he wants to vomit you out of his mouth. And so you bunch of heathen, lukewarm, backslidden Christians, get up here and rededicate your life to Jesus. And man, I rode that ride a lot of times. So here we come to the front to rededicate, which by the way is not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. In church, but it's not in the Bible. Rededicate your life to the Lord. Rededicate your life to the Lord. Rededicate your life to the Lord. Lord, I rededicate my life to you. Lord, I, it's just busy work for religion. You didn't dedicate your life the first time. You sure can't rededicate it a second. <clears throat> Boy, y'all are mighty quiet. He said, your sins and your deeds I remember no more, and yet we have people every Sunday telling congregations that God remembers your sins. He's mad with you because of your sin. You're out of fellowship with him because of your sin. And he sent the Holy Ghost to remind you and be the police of heaven to remind you and convict you of your sin. <laughs> None of which is true. God does not say I remember your sins no more, but I'll also remind you of them. It makes, it's just oxymoron. It makes no sense. Verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, everybody say a new covenant. 
He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. How many of us in here use computers, desktops, some laptops, some type of computer with a software program? Okay, three people. All right. <laughs> Occasionally, over all these years of me using computers, I will get a message and they will tell me that the software program I'm using is no longer supported by the developer, that I need to upgrade or update that they're not going to provide support. Now, what that does not mean, it does not mean that the uh, program has stopped working for me. I'm on now, I use a, a word uh, search, uh, I mean, a word-based, uh, yeah, I think it is called word search Bible program that I've had since the 80s. When I started out with these guys, it was like word search one. I'm like at word search 17 or something now. And each time that they change it, it aggravates me a little bit because I'm used to the old. And I know where everything is and how it works, and now I've got to upgrade, and now I've got to learn the new program, which I don't like to do. I don't need to spend that time doing that. But I do it because they're not going to support it no more. They're not going to keep it. In other words, the old program is obsolete now. Well, I like Windows this. Well, goodbye. Welcome, Explorer. Have fun with that. You know what I'm saying? So you have to upgrade, and, 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 and we just don't like doing that. And so if you're accustomed to Moses, then you're not going to see the need for Jesus. And, and this is why Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 21, 31, this is why he said that the sinners were entering the kingdom of, of heaven ahead of the religious people. He said sinners, harlots go into the kingdom before you. And he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Boy, that ticked them off. He said, I want you to know that sinners and harlots are entering the kingdom before you. How, how is that possible? Because they were unacquainted with the old wine of the law. And so they were readily ready to accept and imbibe and to embrace the new wine of Jesus Christ and his grace. And they just drunk it in, man. And so the new wine would not go into that old system, that old bottle. And the new wine needed an absolute new bottle, which was a new temple, which was us. Not a new temple built with stone, but a new temple. Can you imagine where it, 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 they said the old is good enough? Now listen to me. I'm almost done, but I want you to pause for a moment, and I want you just to reflect just for a moment on that statement. The old is good enough. I mean, I want you to think about the audacity of that statement. The old is good enough. In other words, Jesus died for nothing. In other words, I, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. I mean... I, I, I did, all I need is Moses, and I got this. I, I, don't, I don't need what Jesus did. And, and, and so what we're literally saying to God is, God, your son's sacrifice means nothing to me. I mean, what an offense that's got to be to God in heaven. I mean, we, what, a, what a slap in the face to, of our Savior. We, we don't need you. And, and I can just imagine that, you know, um, how that, excited maybe the Jews were once Jesus was died and buried and that was the end of that and they go now okay now things can go back to normal we can go back to business as usual and uh you know and start doing our animal sacrifice again and act like that guy that caused all this ruckus never came and that's what they did I don't know if you remember but Leviticus chapter 10 tells us about two of Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu that went into the temple and them two brothers offered strange sacrifice before God, and God, they burned, they burned like charcoal briquettes instantly. They died screaming in fire. 
as a living, burning testimony to the seriousness of sin before a holy God. Just came in there and offered strange fire. And yet, now in the new covenant, here comes these priests after Jesus is gone, and they bring those animal sacrifices, and they start that blood sacrifice system again. And listen to me, and they all went home unharmed. They didn't even know, these Old Testament priests, that they were living epistles and testimonies of God's grace. The fact that they did not burn instantly and burst into flames when they offered one more lamb. I mean, it should have been, according to the Old Covenant, offer one more lamb, die, be, be burned out of my eyes on the spot. Nobody offers another one. But they offer them by the hundreds. And for the next 70 years, they offer animal sacrifices in that temple as if Jesus never came. And if, as if his blood was insignificant, and the Bible says in Hebrews, they trampled on it as an unholy thing, worthless in what it accomplished. Had, had the old covenant still been in effect, these priests would have died in fire. But yet they didn't even know enough that, 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 that the old covenant was finished. And what was happening was this, this unauthorized blasphemous sacrifices that continued for years was actually a billboard display that the old is over, obsolete, and the new has come. And grace has arrived. And I forgive all of you, including scribes and Pharisees and priests, of all your sin. And one of the greatest sins that you could be forgiven of is to bring anything else to God other than the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And to try to bring your righteousness Try to bring your good works, try to bring your pedigree, try to bring your denominational tenets of faith, try to bring any other thing before God Almighty and to declare yourself worthy of heaven other than to put your confidence and trust and faith absolutely in the precious blood of Jesus Christ and stand there and say, here as I am without one plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus for me. That's all that is. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's who God is. The new covenant is better. The Bible says so. I agree with the word. I don't want the old. I took the upgrade. I, I, I bought into the upgrade. I threw away the old program. I don't want it no more. It was dependent upon me, my performance. But the new is dependent upon him performing on my behalf as me. Isn't that what's called good news? Would you stand to your feet? 1159, Brother Dale, you are doing so good. <laughs> That'll even make a Baptist proud right there, buddy. <laughs> and I love Baptists and Methodists and everybody, so don't send me no letter. I want the elders. Man, we got a lot of people out today traveling and stuff and Elder Ron Butler's ministering in, I start to say Elder Ron Butler's in prison but that wouldn't be a good way but he is ministering with Kay Rawson with the men we have some out just doing that, I'm so glad for that 
And I want us to, as we close today, just pray for Ron. They, they've been there all weekend. and just he, I texted with him last night. He said God's doing awesome things there. And uh, Ken Marshall, they, they're having a moral service. Some of their family. We just got a lot of things going on. Crawford's out traveling, trying to get saved somewhere. <laughs> I'm teasing. But I want our community group leaders that are here. Our uh, Praise God, Ivory's here for me. Glory to God. It's a faithful man. Amen. Come on, Jill. I'm going to need you this morning, baby. Come on, darling. I need you. And just We want you to have somebody to come to if you need prayer for any reason. I'm going to dismiss the church here in just a minute. L listen to me, guys. Y'all look at me a second. Thank you, darling. Do you discern that my I need a drink? <laughs> Let me guzzle some grace. <laughs> Did y'all catch that? If law was your liquor, oh, excuse me. But uh, I don't want no law, man. I want grace. I'm really amazed at God's grace, aren't you? Uh, ha ha listen to me a second. Let me just pastorally talk to you just a second. Do you believe what's said and preached from here, sung from this church is of value? I mean, seriously, no, don't, I, you know, I'm getting too old. <laughs> No games, man. No games. Ain't no games in me. Because I don't have to do this. God would still love me the same. I could lay this mic down, walk out that door, and never walk in here again. And God would feel the same about me. Sometimes I feel like Paul, you know, my desire to depart, but yet for the sake of the people to remain. I've had people this week. And, and Johanna knows this. I actually forwarded it to her because it was so good news. I thought it might have been a scam. <laughs> kind of. I don't know. I just said, Johanna, please check this out for me. But a guy wrote in. He said, I got, I'm sitting in Texas. I'm reading your book. He said, I have not darkened the door of a church in 13 years because of corruption, he said. He says, this book has changed me. He says, set me free. And he said, I just want to send $1,000 to you, man. And I'll deposit it into your PayPal account there. Just to say the value that it has for me. And he said, by the way, ship me 11 books. I need 11 more of them. Got people I want to give them to. In the past two weeks, we've had three different people right in from Texas. I don't know what's going on in Texas. Somebody must have bought me a billboard out there or something. It's in different cities. This guy was from, I think it was Bryan, Texas, near College Station. and One guy down in San Antonio. And another guy in West Texas. There's value to this message. It just, it just sets people free from religion. Now, there, there, there are people, no doubt, that will, will take it, drink of it, and go, the old is good enough. The old is, I like mixed drinks, so I'll go back and get the law and the grace mixed together. I like that flavor. I like being threatened a little bit. I like the pistol to the head, you know, kind of deal. But you won't ever get that here, not long as I'm here. No mixture. It's pure, undiluted. God loves you. You are forgiven. He's not angry, never will be. He wants you to come to him. Stop searching the scriptures, looking for rules and regulations. Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me. Come to me. Because unless the Lord does come and, you know, take us, 
with the rapture, whatever you want to call it, catching away, one day we're going to all leave here. That's pretty clear to everybody, whether you go to church or not. I mean, funerals happen, you know. I never dreamed that guy I talked to on Wednesday would die Thursday night after receiving Christ. But I'm so glad that I took the time to walk down the hall with a seemingly angry man who was sick of religion and called everybody in that church a hypocrite. But they were not hypocrites. You know who hypocrites really are to me? It's not people doing sin and going to church on Sunday. I mean, I don't advise that, but this is true hypocrites biblically. When you say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a whole sinner, and that's what my identity is today. You're a hypocrite. When you go around and say, I'm not really righteous, and I'm not a saint, neither am I trying to be, you're a hypocrite. You're not living true to what God did on the inside of you when you were born again, perfect before God. And though you don't display that, and I don't display that, and we don't manifest that perfection, yet on the inside we are perfect, for as he is, so are we now in this world. And God, we are one spirit with Christ. And if you're not one spirit with him, then Jesus said you're none of mine. So you are righteous before God, and you can claim and declare and confess that righteousness any time. Do it often, because it's the truth. And live true to who you are on the inside. Don't be a hypocrite. Say, I'm a saint. And all the letters are written to me, the saints. And if God wrote a letter to us, he'd say to the saints at Grace Point. <laughs> or to the saints in Valdosta. He would write that to you. Because that's how God declares that you are. How? Because you, he made you one. Not by your performance, but by his gift. So be true to who God's made you. And you'll find sin having less appeal. And you'll have more power over it to walk in victory. The victory that he's already won for us. Doggone, this is good. But all I'm trying to say, please listen to me. Man, if you want this thing to succeed and grow and flourish, you know, I was thinking about this morning, Paul said to this, he said, you know what? I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. If there's ever going to be any increase in this ministry, it's going to be because God grants it and gives it. I've come to water what was planted here. That's all I can do. I'm doing my best to water it with the best water I know how to get a hold of, and that's the living water from Christ Jesus himself. And pour that water. I didn't derive it. It's not mine, but I know where it is, and I know where to pour it. To those that are thirsty, to those that are hungry. Now, sometimes people come, and they get a hold of grace, and they go, I like the law better. They say, the old's good enough. Well, God bless you. That's not me. This is better. This is much, much better. This is so much better than it used to be. This is so much better. And I, I've never lived in a time where I've seen more people responding to it. This is better. Now, what I need you to do, if you consider this your house in whatever capacity, I want you to tell somebody. Why would you keep something so secret that's so good? Share with them. Invite them. Man, you know if they're coming, going to a church or not. If they're stuck, stuck in all that stuff, invite them to come. To hear the word of God. Send them to my website. DaleYoung.net. D-E-L-L. Dot -L net. There's all kind of articles in there that will just free people. Now, they may read that. I don't believe. Well, fine. God bless you. But my God don't give people cancer, disease, nothing, none of that stuff. And I'll never grow old of saying it. Tired of proclaiming it. God is good all the time. 
His grace is sufficient, more than enough. Amen? So just tell somebody, let's fill this place up. Invite people, reach out to them. Send my link and send stuff out. Because the whole goal of this whole thing, for me, is to just get the gospel out. If it wasn't for that privilege and opportunity, I wouldn't be doing this no more. I don't need to preach another sermon to feel like anybody. I've preached thousands of them in 34 years. But what I need to do is see this gospel that Paul said I'm not ashamed of, for it is the power of God that sets people free. To see those lives changed, to see the smile that comes on someone's face when they realize that they're loved by God totally, that they are unconditionally loved and forgiven. And if they want to enjoy the benefit of that, just put their faith in that person, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm living for. Amen? God bless you today. If you want prayer, I want you to come up here. We're waiting on you. If you don't need prayer, you're in a hurry, go get a piece of chicken. God bless you. Just don't run over nobody. All right. We love you guys. God bless you.